Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by former Washington great Joe Theismann as we discuss his favorite position, quarterback, and Taylor Heineke in particular. Where has Theismann seen the most growth in Heineke? What is the key for Heineke down the stretch? And can he be their quarterback of the future? We discuss. Plus, we talk about Joe's favorite memory, not just in the Washington-Dallas rivalry, but perhaps in his career. Joe is always good, so you'll enjoy hearing from him. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I have a story up now about how the team has taken on Taylor Heineke's personality. Find out why. Now, we'll dig more into the upcoming stretch of games that will determine Washington's season. How have they gotten to this point where these five games matter so much? Fun times to talk about that and not already be looking toward the draft. I know you agree. Before I play my conversation with Joe Theismann, a couple things. One, as you know by now, the news was better for tight end Logan Thomas regarding his knee but that still doesn't mean he'll return this season. I'd say it's a long shot at best until we hear more. But the good news was that he didn't tear his ACL according to an MRI, as Ron Rivera said. That was the initial fear. He still has damage to the knee. That's going to require surgery, but it's the MCL, which is far less severe. By the time you listen to this, Washington may have already decided, made a decision about his future, but they have to decide if they want to keep him on the roster and the chance that they'll make the postseason and then maybe make a run and then at that point, maybe he can help. Or do they shut him down now, fill the roster spot with someone who perhaps can help in some capacity because you never know when you may need another body. It's, and plus, like if somebody gets hurt in another position, you may have to go get somebody else. It's possible that Washington would need to make a deep playoff run for Thomas to return. But the really good news for him is that with no torn ACL, his rehab is far different and he'd be ready for next season. Players are much better when they can basically – work on their bodies and not have to rehab in the offseason. That's what he'll be able to do because of this. Um, otherwise, torn ACL and MCL, it would have left him sidelined perhaps into next season, maybe deep into next season. I, now that's not going to be the case. I do wonder how that was misdiagnosed initially, but that's not my area of expertise. I do know some people I spoke with after the game from the organization were reluctant to put anything out there until they saw the MRI. Still, this is good news for Thomas's long-term long-term health and also for the organization. I do think with Ricky Seals Jones, and he I would expect him back this week, that they can cobble together a passing game that should be okay at the position. I like that rookie John Bates, Bates will still have a role because he's an excellent blocker. That helps. Listen, the way they're built right now, that's really important. More so than his pass catching skills, you need that guy to be a good blocker because they're going to win or lose based on that run game. A healthy Curtis Samuel, if that's if he can progress to that point where he can help, will offset some of this too because it creates different packages that they haven't been able to use. They can still run some three tight end sets, which they did the other day, and they can run it with a – this is one of the things I liked on Sunday. They ran a three tight end set and went empty. So you had three tight ends, a running back, and one receiver, and they went empty. And I like that kind of that creative thinking. Um, so they can still do that. And, you know, they have the, they have the personnel to then put guys in a position to win on those routes. Now in that set, you know, you don't have as much without Logan in there, but seals Jones can help you as a receiver. So it still can be used on occasion. 
A big key for Washington will be sustaining the ground game. The tight ends have been cru- critical or crucial here because of how they use them on the sift box where they pull the tight end across the formation. They have combined that look with jet motion to pause the backside defenders and to clear linebackers out of the gaps as they shift and, and with the, with the, as one linebacker is going to go with the tight end in that action. And then Antonio Gibson will run the other way to a more favorable numbers game and a better look. That's been a nice development since the bye, and they can do that with or without Thomas. So they can still make this offense go. It's just that you're better with Thomas. I mean, let's not sugarcoat this. The guy was really good. I loved him in the red zone, as did everybody else. But it was, you know, he's 6'6", 250. And you don't always see guys use their size. He used his size exceptionally well. And I think that was a good security blanket for any quarterback. He will be missed. But they can still make this offense go without him. Defensively, I want to credit a couple guys. John Allen has been all world. We know that. We've heard a lot about the safeties as well, and I'll talk about one in a second. I'm a big fan of Cam Curl's play, and my Landon Collins, I think, has been terrific. Um, and I liked how DeShazer ever played the other day, physical. Talked about that with Sam on the previous podcast. Um, Kalik Hudson now done for the year because he suffered an, an injury in that game, so he went on to IR. Well, he went on to IR. He might be back, but he's on IR, so he'll be out for three weeks. Um, I thought he had a nice game too, so that's a loss. But it's not a it's a loss more on special teams for the next few weeks because if Landon Collins is back as Rivera hopes he will be, then they then Hudson would not be used from scrimmage, but he would be felt on special teams. Um, but I want to say more about cornerback Kendall Fuller, who's played lights out for a while now. I love how smart he is, always have. He was always somebody I liked talking to early in his career because you knew how much he studied and he could tell you not just what happened, but why. I always liked that. So I love talking to him in the locker room. He made a handful, handful of plays the other day just with proper positioning or discipline, eye discipline, um, the, you know, with everything that goes with it. And one occurred on the near touchdown to Zay Jones in the back corner of the end zone late in the game. It was on the field goal drive that where Oakland took the, excuse me, the Las Vegas Raiders took the lead. It was a third and eight, um, again, third and eight, right before the field goal. On the play, Washington's own coverage looks like a cover three. Fuller on one side, Jackson on the other side. Bobby McCain in the middle. Fuller played it with good eye discipline. He sees Zay Jones basically coming from his from inside and cutting, um, going to cut to the corner. But he's playing. But what I liked is Fuller's positioning. And I say that because it was if you play basketball, you know in the zone it's ball man principles. He had good ball man principles, again, as you would teach in basketball. Because of that, I felt like he got the proper depth. There was a guy in front of him, but he saw he could see that guy but he could see where Carr was looking because of his proper discipline and, and positioning. And when Carr tried to hit Jones, Fuller was, again, Fuller's depth was a little bit deeper just because he could see what where, where Jones was going and he knew he could rally to the ball on the receiver in front of him, but he had to protect the back. So when Carr starts to try to hit Jones, Fuller's breaking on the ball. Now, the throw was long. Jones would have had to make a one-handed grab, but Fuller was right there. So any chance at a miracle catch was done because Fuller knocked his hand away. If, if he, and you know, so if he had been in a position to break it up, maybe he gets it. If the ball is thrown just a little bit better, Fuller is there, I think, to break it up. But it was because it was a smart, disciplined play, and that kid has played well. That guy has played well. He's not a kid. Another throw I want to talk about was the one that the Raiders fans wanted to pass interference on, the, the deep one to Zay Jones, another Jones play. I didn't think it was PI live or on replay, but that I didn't think anything was egregious to do it. If you tug, veteran D-backs know that you're going to tug, you do it low. And that's what he did. And I don't even know if it was severe. I didn't see a lot to say you should have called a flag. I did not see that. That's just me. I know you agree, so we'll move on. 
However, what I liked was the look that Washington provided on the play. It was a Tampa two coverage. So there are two deep safeties and someone in the middle to carry the receiver. Typically, it's going to be a linebacker. Sometimes it's Cole Holcomb or maybe a strong safety. That's what Landon Collins has done to play that role. But on this look, it was Bobby McCain. And this is important because he's their fastest safety and has good ball, ball skill instincts. Because of that, he was able to stay with Jones and was in position to break up the ball. Had it been somebody a half step slower, it's a possible catch, maybe a P.I., but, pro but probably a big play. But because it was McCain, because they had McCain in that role, I felt like it broke up that play. Finally, I think I talked about this, I think, on the last podcast with Sam Fortier from, of the Washington Post, but I like how I like how Cole Holcomb is playing. There were a couple of plays Sunday where he showed the instincts he talked about in his postgame presser. Too often this season, Holcomb sometimes would see a play, process it, and then go. Sunday, he saw the play, and he went. There was a one-yard stop. Raiders were deep in their own territory. One-yard stop in which he, it looked like um, basically a, a form of duo, so two double teams on the tackles. Well, John Allen's being double teamed. The double team comes off of Allen and going to Holcomb, but Holcomb's already gone to the hole. That was the difference. That's the difference between processing and then just going. And because he just went, he was in position, the back has to then cut, and the line does a good job to make him force him la more lateral, and, and Holcomb is there help to help with the stop. But it's because he reacted and he didn't let the double team get to him too. His coverage has improved. Don't forget, he defended a pass in the red zone down the seam to the tight end Moreau, but if he doesn't, it's a touchdown. Instead, Las Vegas sells for a field goal. Again, difference in the game. He's not perfect. Cole Holcomb is not perfect in coverage. Nobody is. Don't expect that. But he did He did have multiple breakups on Sunday, and I felt like there was another time where he was – there was a pass to um, Hunter Renfro over the middle, and he was right there in coverage. And the, it, it, was a, it was a long game for Renfro, probably about a 20-yard game, something like that. What stood out to me was Derek Carr had 5.15 seconds to throw the ball. I timed it. And Holcomb was still there. It was a really good throw by um, by Carr, but it's you're not gonna you're not gonna have a linebacker stick with a slot receiver for five seconds and not complete a ball. But his overall his coverage has been really good and much better lately. So that's a good sign for him. Um, I think he just looks more comfortable at the position overall. I still think they want to find a true Mike linebacker in the offseason and use Holcomb and Jamin Davis outside. By the way, Jamin Davis missed those four tackles. We all saw it. That was bad. What I liked, and this is when I would coach basketball, I always tell the kids, first to score, you've got to be in position to score. So if you're not being in position to score, we got a problem. He was in position to make those plays because he read it right. He reacted right. He took a bad angle. You know, he didn't, he didn't attack it the right way. It wasn't because he was slow on it. It was because he didn't, he didn't take the proper angles. And I think that's something you can work on. If the guy's not getting there, hard to work on that. He was getting there. He's got to make the play. I'm not going to sugarcoat any of that. You've got to make the, the tackles. He knows that. Um, now, make those plays. We can talk about him having a good game because it would have been a good game for him. He does. He didn't make them, so it's not. But he made a tackle. He had, did have a couple of plays that, that jumped out to me, one of which was there were a couple of plays. His speed showed at times, and he even made a stop. on a, I think he had a tackle for loss on a, on a um, swing pass to a back. That was a really nice play. And then there was another one on a, on a tackle, on a screen pass to old friend Peyton Barber that he made for a two-yard stop in the red zone. Again, this is on where, where the Raiders took the lead on the field goal. Stay with me. If he doesn't make that stop, he read it right. If he doesn't make that stop, well, let me back up. He showed his speed on the play. Now, 
Maybe another linebacker gets there. I don't know that he was, I don't know that it was a tremendous, tremendous play, but I would like this that he read it right, saw it, and he went. And because of that, he tackles Barber for a two yard lock for a two yard stop. If he doesn't get to Barber, if Barber has any opening at all, that's a possible first down because he had a couple of blockers ahead of him. There was a defensive back coming up. Maybe, I think it was Danny Johnson, maybe makes the play, but there's room for Barber to make a cut and get inside. He gets a first down. The Raiders are using more clock. I don't know how much time Washington's going to have at the end of it. Maybe they even score a touchdown on that drive too. That was a big stop, and it was by Davis. But make those, you know, those little plays add up, but you got to make those other tackles too. And when you do that, then we can talk about him improving and having a better year, but you got to make those stops, man. You've got to. Anyway, what, that's it for me. After this break, I'll be back with former Washington great Joe Theismann. What does he think Taylor Heineke's future is? And listen to the excitement in his voice when I ask a simple question. What's your favorite Washington-Dallas memory? Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with former Washington quarterback Joe Theismann. And by the way, there's a point near the end of our conversation where Theismann references how his name is spelled. That's because when he joined Zoom, I don't control this. I don't know who did this, but they had his name spelled T-H-E-I-A-M-A-N-N. I kind of was laughing at it all along. I don't know if you thought that I accidentally did that. I don't control that. So I don't know how that was. Somebody had a typo. So if you're wondering, what's that about? That's what it's about. Great conversation. Joe is always good. Enjoy. Well, Joe... I, I was I always like talking to you because you have great insight into this game and this team and guys like Taylor Heineke. So I want to start with Taylor Heineke. And I'm curious what you've seen from him this season, but also in this four-game stretch. What have you seen from him? Well, uh, John, I, I've seen, um, first of all, it's good to catch up with you. Happy holidays to you. Thanks, you too. Um, I have seen tremendous growth at the position and maturity, decision-making. You know, the, the position's really about decisions. Most guys have the ability to throw the football, uh, except, you know, you just don't know where to put it half the time. And you're not sure what you want to do with the ball in your hands. Taylor has grown in that area so well. I mean, go back to the, you know, falling short, uh, giving himself up before he's in the end zone. Some of the decisions he made trying to force the ball down the field. I see a much more patient quarterback. I see somebody who can make plays with his legs and he's you know, he's about as close to who Danny, as we've seen in the NFL, <laughs> between he and Kyler Murray. I don't know who gets out of tougher jams, but uh, he's really grown a lot in the position. Where, and as far as like the decision making, all that, what do you think helps that growth? I mean, now, some of that's obvious. More playing time is going to help. But are there some other things that you've seen him do that maybe have helped with that decision making? Well, it is understanding down and distance playing time. I mean, we're looking at what I believe this will be about his 14th start. Yeah. Somewhere around, I mean, he hasn't even played a full season in the National Football League yet. And uh, we see that continuing type of growth, which is exciting and fun. Um, and to me, it's it really is. It's the opportunity to be able to play on a continuing basis where you see yourself, you study yourself. It's one thing to watch somebody else play, but you don't know what they're thinking. When you're on the football field and you make a decision, you know why you did it. And when I work with guys, I don't want them to tell me what they think they want me to hear. I want them to tell me what they were thinking so you can move forward and help them grow. What, in so far as like um, just even some of the decision making, are there certain 
situations, routes where you feel like, is it a timing thing that he's, is it seeing it better and getting rid of the ball quicker or what, where do you see that most? If that makes sense. I think he's getting the ball out of his hands quicker and he's taking his check downs okay. or the shorter routes. He's not trying to force the ball. I think early on, he was trying to make plays down the field and it just got him in trouble. Now, if the opportunity is there, he takes the shot, but more than likely we're a, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 play drive offense. Right. You know, and, and when I played for Joe Gibbs, the first thing Joe told us, I'll never forget the first meeting. He said, we're going to be a 60 minute football team. We're going to play 60 minutes of football. We want to be in control of the game at the end, whether we have possession of the ball or whether we have to stop somebody, whether we need a touchdown or whether we need a field goal, we want to stay that close. That was the same philosophy we ran in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. But that was always the way Coach Gibb preached. And Ron does the same thing. Yeah. I think you know, Scott Turner is sort of a disciple of the Joe Gibbs offense. I mean, Norv was one that ran the same type of offense. Right. The terminology is similar to what I ran. So to me, it's, it's his growth in that area of mm -hmm. taking what the defense is giving you. Don't try and force things because all it's going to do is create problems. Do you think that going to the run game more, the com stronger commitment, how much has that helped Taylor in that area? Tremendously. Having a running attack is is vitally important for balance. I mean, you don't have to do it the way the New England Patriots did it, uh, <laughs> running, uh, you know, just throwing three yeah. passes in an entire football game. But, uh, you know, you know, I think most teams that we play, especially going forward now, Dallas has a strong defense, especially up front. Philadelphia is the same way. The Giants probably up front is their best aspect of what they do. Right. So, I mean, for us to be able to control the line of scrimmage and run the football is going to be very integral. But I, I think, you know, I was fortunate to have the Hogs and John Riggins. I mean, they allowed me to be able to keep the chains moving, but they put us in good yardage situations where we could stay ahead of the chains. And that's do what the running game does for you. Do you feel any sort of um, – when you were here – you you had your your path became an even though you went to Notre Dame it becomes an underdog path to get to where you did, right? I mean, would you agree right. with that? I mean, you yeah. you have you have to overcome. Do you have and do you feel any sort of? I mean, Taylor's in that same situation. He's coming from a different place. He wasn't at Notre Dame. He was undrafted, you know. But do you feel any sort of connection, or do you see any any part of yourself in him at all, at any level? I do to a degree, John. I mean, people have, people have told me that, it's, you know, he plays like I played and I consider that, you know, especially the last four weeks a compliment, you know, we're not, we're not going to overpower people with our arms. Right. So you have to make good decisions. You have to know where you are down in distance. You have to understand the field goal kickers range. Now that's tough for him because now we're on our fourth kicker, right. um, you know, and, and you have to protect the ball when you have a chance to put points on the board. So you know, that's the way I approach the game mentally. And that looks like the way Taylor is approaching it now, which is fun to watch. I mean, I mean, he's gotten at him out of some unbelievable situations to be able to make plays. Most of the time, they're positive plays. If nothing else, it avoids the major sack and, and getting behind the chains. But, you know, I mean, we're both smaller guys. We're both run around guys a little bit. Um, like I said, we didn't have overpowering arms. Uh, but we managed to put the ball in places where guys can make plays with them. Uh, unfortunately, I think for him, it looks like Logan Thomas is going to be right, gone. Right. That's a big so, one. You know, now we, you know, now we have to rely on the young guys again. And I guess I'm part of it too, is do you, can you appreciate his journey at a different level? Because again, you, 
you know, and I don't think he's at your level clearly by any means, and he may never get there, but the journey to get where he is here, the underdog tale, do you appreciate that part of it too? I really do. I, I, I appreciate his perseverance. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I talk quite a bit during training camp and uh, his quest for knowledge to want to continue to learn and get better and work on the things that he needs to, to be able to function and, and operate as the quarterback of this football team. Um, I'm rooting for him. I was rooting for him in the beginning. Everybody mm-hmm. said, you know, it's, it's fits his job. It's fits his job. I said, let's see how it plays out. Yeah. No, Taylor, I had, Taylor had five, five quarters a year ago, basically yeah. six quarters, maybe. And, uh, now what we're seeing now is what I think all of us hoped we would see is continued growth and progress. When you, when you say you had a quest for knowledge, like what kind of things was he asking you? Was it a different level that maybe you were prepared for him to ask or what, what kind of things, how did you see that quest for knowledge? It really was a question. It was, it was conversations, just talking okay. about the quarterback, the position. Um, you know, one of the things he talked about early on in camp was when he, when he threw left, he threw high. Right. We talked, we talked about ball positioning. We talked about the stride. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about mechanics. You know, I just like talking ball, but the, yeah. kid, the kid loves football. Now, one of the things I think, um, who was it? Bill Parcells used to ask his guys, do you love football? You know, Taylor's one of those guys that loves football. Uh, he, and, and the moment's not too big for him. I mean, look, look at who he's gone up against. I know. World champions. I mean, uh, Carolina, at the time we played him, had one of the best defenses in football. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, and you look at, you, you go on the road and you win a big ball game. Now, now he's going to hit a stretch where it'll be different. Now, you know, but, but I don't ever see him taking a different approach. I see him taking the same approach that he has taken, and that's just do his job. If he tries to do too much, just like every quarterback, it's going to get him in trouble. And I think he's found a level. I think Scott's found a level with him. See, that's John, that's a big thing yeah. that people don't understand, is the quarterback and the coordinator have to have a single mind. So when Scott calls a play, Taylor has to know why he called it. Not what it is, but why it was called right. Are we trying to pick up a third down? Are we trying to get to fourth and short? Because Ron's historic when it comes right. to doing that. I mean, are we trying to get in better field position? Are we trying to get to a place where I can give my punter a little bit of room? Um, so he's he's really doing all of those things now. I mean, he's thinking his way through a game, mm-hmm. which which is really a big part of it. And that's that's why I enjoy his con- the conversations with him. And, you know, and it's funny because you talk about this coming uh, the next five games. I mean, this is December. This is when these games are, are even though the opponents, you know the opponents, they're just, it just feels bigger. How, how different is it for a quarterback as you go down the stretch, and you were in that a number of times, what's it, does it change? Does it feel different in, in this last month because the game, the stakes just become bigger? Well, you know, not really. I mean, not really. Well, yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> but okay. You, you try, you try to have it not be. Um, any more pressure on yourself. You try not to make it any bigger than it is. You know, he's never played the Dallas Cowboys. The good right. news is he gets to play him at home first. I mean, and, I mean, this is a very unique and unusual, unusual stretch for him and for this football team. Uh, we've only played one division game up to this point. So you basically have played 12, uh, 11 of 12 games have been non-division games. Now, all of a sudden, everything that this football team wants to accomplish is out in front of them. 
And they can't start looking, you know, this is going to be one of those things where Ron's really going to have to remind the guys to focus on the game at hand. Right. Don't think you're playing Dallas twice. Don't think you're playing Philadelphia twice. Don't think you're going to play the Giants. Don't think you're going to win five. Don't think you're going to win three. Take one game at a time and just be efficient. And, and I think that's going to be the big thing for Taylor. Do what you've been doing that gets you to here. Don't try and do anything more. Do you think, have you seen enough to say, because I know like the big thing is what are they going to do at quarterback in the off season? What have you seen from Taylor to go forward and say, you know, what, well, let me, what, what are your thoughts on Taylor and his future with how you would see him in the future? I, you know, John, it's, it's such a difficult question to answer. And you know me well enough. Yes. I don't avoid tough questions, but it, there's really no answer for it. I think you have to see how he finishes up the season. Yeah. Can he get right. through the season healthy? Is he going to be able to play consistent football like he has? I mean, he's become very comfortable in this offense. And like yeah. I say, Scott's become very comfortable with him. Uh, you go find somebody, they're not going to be as comfortable. And when you really look around the marketplace, where are you going to go? Yeah, I know. Aaron Rodgers turned, turned 38. Russell Wilson uh, has been beat up. And all, so now it's, 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 it's reacquainting yourself with an offense from guys that are moving. And, and then you look at the guys running. I got to be honest with you. I watched Mike Glennon play football the other day for the Giants, and it it was embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, he just he couldn't hit, he couldn't hit an open receiver. Yeah, but that that speaks to how thin the position is in the National Football League. Yeah, we just don't have enough quarterbacks. And Taylor Heineke is proving that he is a starter. Yeah, that he can be a starter, and he should be a starter. So where the next five games take us. Heaven only knows, but I know one thing that, you know, I believe in what he's doing. Um, I love the way he plays the game. Uh, the guys believe in him more so than what the fans think or what, you know, we do from an opinionated standpoint, right. where we think somebody, the players really believe in him and the coaches. And that's the only thing that matters in this game. It's well, like in green Bay. Okay. Right. I'll give you an example. Jordan love is supposedly the heir apparent to the throne in green Bay. Right but he's not Aaron Rodgers. When Aaron, when Jordan Love gets on the field, it's different than when Aaron Rodgers is behind center. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny because you bring up how the guys are, because what I remember in writing some books on the Redskins from years ago, talking to guys about you, and they always talked about your toughness, and you always like to kind of be with the, the old lineman too. And I think when you have that, like when, when, the, when they have that respect for a quarterback, you can feel it like, can you, can you tell, like, are there things that way guys are in the field, little things that you might see to say they really do respond to him? Are there little things that you see that maybe others just wouldn't because you know? Yeah. You know, one of the things that jumps out at me and when I was broadcasting, I used to look at this is when a quarterback's on the ground, who's coming over to help them up. Right. You can tell when a team doesn't give a darn about their quarterback because they just let him lay there and get up by himself. But, and you look around the national football, you look at when Patrick Mahomes goes out of bounds. There are offensive linemen racing over to right. help him up. I think when, when Taylor goes down, we have guys coming over to help him up. That, that speaks volumes yeah. to me. That, that simple act alone tells me what the guys think of him. And when he comes to the sidelines, you know, and, and the, way he, the way he interacts with the players, I mean, he's, he really is, he understands the total package of what the position's supposed to be. Um, just a couple more things. One on the run game. What have you seen? Obviously, it's been doing better. And you talk about Scott calling the game and all that. 
What have you seen from that that, you know, that gives you confidence that will sustain over the next five weeks and, and the way maybe Antonio Gibson is running? Well, I think the, it is Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson has done well. Is, well, he's just, he's like Taylor. He's just learning how to play running back. Yeah. Taylor's just learning how to play quarterback. Antonio played wide receiver most of the time in Memphis. I yeah. live in Memphis. So, you know, I know I watched him. Uh, he's learning how to press the hole more. He's learning how to use his power. He's learning how to run through people um, instead of trying to run around them and juke them because you're not going to do that in this, in, at this level. Um, I, I think he's staying with the blocks more. And one of the one of the aspects of our team that nobody seems to really want to talk about is the progress of our offensive line. We're on our fourth center. It's amazing. We're on our fourth center and our fourth kicker. And you look at the way we're running the football, and that's going to be a big key against the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Now you you know if you you can live with second down or third and six, you can't live with third and thirteens. Not against that football team. Right. You know. Micah Parsons probably going to be the defensive player of the year. I mean, he certainly, he got my vote already. He's, he's phenomenal. He's, he's, he is. He really is. But I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a great challenge for our guys up front. And, you know, I sort of remember with Joe Bugle uh, when he coached our offensive line and we would play the Cowboys or we would play the Bears defensive front. You know, he'd really get the guys saying, look, man, it's on you. This game, this game is in your hands. You guys up front. You're the ones that are going to make a difference in this football game. And, and I believe that's the way it's going to be for us, in, you know, going down the stretch here. Last thing. And you know, this rivalry very well, and you played at a time where it was phenomenal and, you know, between, you know, just the, the back and forth with the organization and all that. What's your, what is your favorite Dallas Washington memory? My favorite Dallas Washington memory is, is very vivid in my mind. It was when we played the Cowboys at RFK Stadium for the right to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC Championship game. Yep. And what made that game so memorable, memorable to me was they had brought in these aluminum seats. So there were like five rows of aluminum seats to ring the field. And at the end of that game, the fans were pounding their feet on the aluminum seats, yelling, we want Dallas, we want Dallas. I'm standing on the sidelines, John. And the ground beneath my feet is shaking. <laughs> and I'm, I'm telling you, it was the eeriest, most incredible experience I've ever had. But that, you know, I've had so many moments against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the uh, five, uh, the game we beat them, you know, at our place uh, and playing in front of President Carter, mm -hmm. um, being, you know, taking a safety at the end of the game to beat yeah. them. Um I mean, you know, I've had, I guess, you know, my first touch, I still have the ball of my first touchdown, which was against the Cowboys. So to me, it's always been something against the Dallas Cowboys or something with the Dallas Cowboys to line up against Roger Staubach, uh, to have my high school teammate, Drew Pearson, now go in the Hall of Fame, be yeah. on the other side. Um, with, you know, to see, to see Ed Tutel Jones today when we do functions together or Randy White. Um, I think of the great battles that we had, but that particular game at RFK stadium on that day to me is the one that stands out the most. Do you still, cause I can hear in your voice. Do you still get chills thinking about that? I don't get chills. I get excited. Okay. okay. I, I can get, tell, I, I can tell the voice. Okay. I get, ex I get excited about yeah. it. I mean, I, you know, cause people say, and, and I think the, the, the most common answer 
is what most people expect. And that is when they say, what's the, what's your greatest memory of your career? Um, I would, you know, people say, well, the Super Bowl. Well, the Super Bowl was a great memory for me and the play I happened to make in it was another great memory, but being able to beat the Dallas Cowboys for the right to go to the Super Bowl in front of our fans in Washington, that to me is the, the one thing that stands out more than anything. That's cool, Joe. And then that's why I wanted to have you on. I also would imagine too, when you see those guys from the Cowboys that it must be, there must be a different connection because those games were so meaningful. And as this is a football fan, they were awesome to watch. So oh yeah, when, um, when Ed, when I was at Drew Pearson's induction at the hall of fame, and of course there were all the Cowboys were there. Roger was there. Uh, Ed was there. Uh, so many different guys, Charlie, um, and, you know, when Ed comes over to hug me, I'm, I, you know, I get a little leery because you know, <laughs> he, he hugged me way too many times, I guess you could say, John. <laughs> there you go. A little bit safer now. Joe, I appreciate you coming on. Love talking to you because the insight is always, always good. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Also, my name is spelled T-H-E-I-S-M-A-N-N. Yeah, I don't know how that got up there. I don't know what that, yeah, but that's. I don't know, I don't know who that guy is up there, but I appreciate it. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that's how you checked into hotels now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but you never okay. know. Hey, All thanks right. a lot. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Joe Theisen for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode Thursday night, taking a look at the Dallas Cowboys. I can hear you booing already at the mention of their name. Talk to you next time.